This is exactly right. He's taught me so much and he continues to about the world as a whole, but also about like myself and my capabilities um, and being being a mom. Like it was never something that was like the top of my I'm dying to do this list. Like I just have so many passions in life and I was scared that I wasn't going to be able to still have those if I had a child. And I think more than anything, it's shown me that I can do, you know, all of the things that I love doing and still be a damn good parent in the process. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is the ABCs of inclusion and raising a deaf child with Beth Leopold. And Beth is someone who does exactly what we talk about on this show. She's an inclusion and accessibility advocate who believes in creating a more accepting world for our children. She is the author of her new book, The ABCs of Inclusion, Paving the Way for Equality and Understanding. As the hearing mother of a deaf child, Beth is raising her son, Coop, bilingually in both hearing and deaf cultures. And she shares her parenting journey on several platforms, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram, where she has built a community of more than 1 million people around disability inclusion. She also is a very talented photographer and website designer, which she does on the side. That's a joke. She does everything. And she lives in Minnesota, loves spending time with her family, loves the summers, photography, iced Americanos, which I know you spend a lot of time in those cafes. She's holding one right now. CrossFit and a good old-fashioned book. Beth, welcome to the show. Hi, I am excited to be here, and this just fits in perfectly with everything that I stand for. So, It does seem completely aligned. I am up to speed on your platforms. I've really enjoyed um, watching you, Coop, your family. Um, and first, congratulations about your new book. It is, it is beautiful. It is a beautifully um, written and illustrated book, um, which is, is um, I think, unique in how you've come to really normalizing different ways people are made. Yeah, it's, and I I have to give obviously tons of credit to my illustrator. She really brought it to life. That's the reason it looks so good. Um, She's done an amazing job. So it's just been a really cool journey to see it really unfold the way that it was in my head and now to be like in my hands. Yes, and it's a process, and uh, I know you've self-published before, and uh, having done this process, it, it's it's very different, right? Working with a, a publishing company and timelines and all of these that team, um, but so it's largely supportive, and yet 
in my experience, there's lots of other factors that are outside of our control when moving down this um, train of, of, of yes. taking a book from an idea to actually being out there in the world. It's been so different. Like I'm, I'm a very like impulsive and like I get an idea and I do it type of person. So to have to like slow down and be patient and like methodical with it has been totally different than my first go round. But mm -hmm. We're going to, so we're going to dive, uh, we're going to dive uh, into the book and its contents soon. I want to, um, I, I also wanted to say being a avid home show watcher and loving design, I loved your recent, uh, TikTok about what you guys in response to some, um, some critique comments that we always get when we put ourselves out there by individuals about about you assumptions about you and your life and about your beautiful property what what you and your husband have done with the help, support of your family i just want to say it's absolutely beautiful and i love how you guys did it yourselves thank you yeah he's my husband is super talented so again <laughs> i'm not brushing the credit off but yeah. a little bit and i loved the design aspect so it really has been cool to see it kind of merge and come to life what is it? So rural living in rural Minnesota, and as um, as I've learned, living about twenty minutes outside of town, where all of Coop's appointments are, and you know you're spending your time in the cafes, working your your day job while you're um, <laughs> while you're also doing this other mission driven work about inclusion. What is it like living out? in rural Minnesota, particularly now as we're recording in, in the deep winter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not like living in the middle of Alaska, I guess, but you know, it, it's cold, it's icy. It's there's days that I know I'm probably not going to be able to leave the house in which, you know, Cooper's going to have to be at home too. Obviously that was totally different before having a child. I could easily work anywhere. Can't so easily anymore. Um, but no, we, we love it. There's days where it would be nice to be able to run out my front door and grab like creamer or milk or whatever, but it just takes a little more planning. It's yeah. worth it for the trade-off for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like a beautiful area from what little I, I, I saw um, and a beautiful area for Coop to grow up um, with. Uh, I, I would also say with like sensory, I feel like there's more sensory management or ability to control sensory input when one is more in rural cultures versus mm -hmm. the urban city life. Yeah. And I think that probably played more of a factor in the beginning when like sounds did take him aback more, but like now he just loves input. Like he will sit and listen to sirens and like, he mm -hmm. just loves it. But yeah, he's a big outdoor kid. He, we have chickens. They're like his little best friends harder this time of year, but in the summer he's mm -hmm. out there constantly. Mm -hmm. So tell everyone about your journey, um, which, you know, which has culminated to doing the inclusion advocacy work that you do. How, how did all this, what happened? Yeah, it's kind of a crazy chaotic story, but um, so my husband and I met in 2014 um, on Tinder and moved in together a little after that. Um, always knew that we would end up, you know, getting engaged and wanting kids um, someday type of thing. I never wanted them like early on. And so we got engaged in January of 2019 in Fort Myers. We were on vacation. Um, I'd been feeling off a little bit the whole time. And I had actually like looked for a pregnancy test while we were there. Mm. And just like, I didn't make a huge effort, but I didn't find one so, at the gas station. So I was like, meh, whatever. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, um, so we got engaged um, 
it was the evening before we left. So got home like 36 hours later, back to Minneapolis. Um, didn't even get out of like the city's area. And I was like, I need to take this so I can just like put my mind at ease. So I went, stopped at a gas station, took a pregnancy test in the bathroom and it was positive. Um, <laughs> I walked out and I literally like threw it at Brandon. There's a lot of processing going on there. Yeah. Just wasn't like ready. Yeah. Um, and so my, my poor mother, we, we were stopping at my parents' house before driving back to our house to show her like the ring and, you know, celebrate the engagement. Mm-hmm. And she's looking at my ring and I just like throw a pregnancy test at her at the same time and burst into tears. So <laughs> great moment. <laughs> um, so I always like to say like, he just kept the surprises coming from the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we had a whole 36 hour engagement before we ventured into parenthood. That's, um, that's a sprint. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep. It really was. Yeah. And so long story short, I guess we ended up getting married, um, May of that year, just figured we didn't want to do it after having a newborn, um, which I'm really grateful for in retrospect, because mm-hmm. we had a lot mm-hmm. going on. Um, and then Cooper was born in September. I was induced. Um, I had high blood pressure towards the end, but otherwise pretty normal pregnancy. Um, had no reason to think anything, you know, would be different. Um, he, we were in the hospital for the normal couple of days. He had his newborn hearing screening, which is mandatory in Minnesota, um, and didn't didn't pass that, which I've come since to learn is not that uncommon. A lot of times they just think it's fluid in the ears from being in utero so long. Um, so just kind of mentioned it to us that, hey, come back um, in a couple of days. We'll redo it, see what happens. Um, and in the meantime, he was actually born with a white patch of hair and the rest of his hair was pretty dark like mine is mm-hmm. um and so that was kind of unique and I would just I was in a couple mom groups on Facebook and I was like hey did anybody's child have like basically a birthmark in their hair and what mm-hmm. kind of happened and somebody commented and said oh I've heard this can be like an indicator of Wardenberg syndrome which I had never heard of and at this point I want to say Coop was like three weeks old and so of course you know I took to Google to figure out what that was And I started reading and like the main component of it was being deaf or having a degree of um, hearing loss. And after reading the rest of the um, characteristics that were in line, it was like, this is like a checklist of my baby. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was, that was a scary moment. And like, there's only a couple moments in my life where I feel like the world kind of like narrowed in and I was just like spinning in my own little existence. And that was one of them. Cause I think I just knew at that point. Um, And so literally the next day we took him back into our local hospital to redo that screening, um, which he didn't pass again. And the difference with that is like, they can literally only tell you like, Hey, they passed this. Hey, they didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's no, you don't know if there's any degree of hearing. You don't know if it's, um, if he was completely deaf, like we had to make more appointments in order for that to happen. Um, and so October 18th of 2019, when he was, six weeks old, we got the official diagnosis, um, from children's hospital in the twin cities. And even though we kind of, I mean, not kind of, we did know at that point, like we have three big dogs. He never reacted to any sound. Like Mm -hmm. I would play loud music, nothing. Um, it was still a really hard day, (laughs) a couple of days to just let that sink in. Mm -hmm. There's a book that you um, have as a resource on your website that only those of us who, you know, either parent in this world of uh, disability and or work in it know of. Welcome to Holland, and it's such a po- it's such a powerful story. And um, 
how, how does that, first of all, please tell everyone about that book. And I'm also curious how much that resonated with your experience. Yeah. Um, so the original or the poem is from, I think like the eighties or nineties, I, I would have to double check. Um, but so when I first, when we got Coop's diagnosis, my coworkers actually have a daughter who has down syndrome and she's the eye in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really leaned on them just as like parents who had been through like an unexpected diagnosis. Um, they recommended our doctor, like they were great. And she's the one, Rachel, who actually sent me that poem. And I remember opening it. I was sitting in my car in the target parking lot here. And I just like burst into tears because it encapsulated like everything I was feeling so perfectly. And the, the gist of the poem is like, you know, you're expecting to get go on this certain trip and things kind of change and you take a detour and where you end up is different, but it's not any less beautiful. Like there's still beauty to be found. Um, you know, and there's still, I actually got a tattoo that kind of goes in line with the entire, the entire metaphor, um, around the flowers. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So it's, it really, really spoke to me. Um, and I reference it a lot and that's kind of where the title for my, um, first book came from and that was hello Holland. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, yeah, I, I love that poem. It actually, when we were looking into daycares, um, and switching providers for Cooper, I went in to one of them and she had it sitting on her table. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, it's just, it's cool how it kind of shows up time and time again. Mm -hmm. I think most of life, all aspects of life, the longer I live um, and do the work is is about perspective and mindset. You know what's what's objective versus what's subjective. There's, it's you know what what we think is how things are, regardless of how they actually are. And in this particular incidence of all of you know my own experience with neurodivergent kids and our clients and all of our listeners, everyone has this process of a different of in one way or another of aspects of grief of fear of anger of confusion on the uh, naturally on the way to coming to a place of acceptance mm-hmm. and what what is is there anything you can tell us about that process for you from your perspective so much yeah yeah <laughs> Um, and I know I can be a little long-winded, so if you ever need to just be like, hey, stop. I will. Um, yeah. So the obviously I was familiar with the five stages of grief, um, just being a human. Right. But I had never really experienced it. I mean, I've been lucky enough in my life to not really, you know, lose anybody or go through anything incredibly life-changing. Um, and so I didn't really think about it in those terms when we got Cooper's diagnosis um, until it was brought to my attention later that you know it doesn't have to be some, you know, like a loss of life type of thing for for a person to go through these stages. And so once I started really looking at them, I was like, wow, I definitely went through all of them with the acceptance of denial. I never really was in denial Mm -hmm. um, about his diagnosis because I knew that doing so would just be wasted time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think as a parent specifically, you have a really hard time acknowledging and putting words to those feelings of grief because you don't want it to feel like, you know, the child that you have isn't good enough or that there's something wrong with them or that you would change them. 
And I think that's what I struggled with for a long time um, until I found, I'm going to read one of the quotes that I absolutely love um, on my website really quick, but it really put it in perspective for me. And it's parenthood's about raising and celebrating the child you have, not the child you thought you'd have. It's about understanding your child is exactly the person they're supposed to be. And if you're lucky, they might be the teacher who turns you into the person you're supposed to be. Oh, wow. Um, I love that. Yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. And um, so I always tell, you know, parents going through a new diagnosis that it's totally normal to like feel grief over the child you thought you'd have and the child, you know, their, the life you thought they would have. Um, and it's necessary even in order to make room for whatever's coming or whatever you're stepping into. Um, but apart from grief, I mean, I think anger is really common too. I was angry for, I would say for a couple of days, my anger didn't, wasn't long winded by any means. Mm -hmm. Um, but it did come back time and time again in the beginning, like once we got farther along in the process and I would see like kids Cooper's age talking and him not quite being there yet, like there would be still those moments of grief and anger that resurfaced. Mm-hmm. Um, on the, so I always, that's, that's something I always tell people is it's just not a linear journey, mm-hmm. no matter mm-hmm. where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the one other thing that isn't necessarily part of the five stages of grief, but that I experienced was almost minimizing what we were going through. Um, right. Right. Being like, oh, well, at least he, you know, doesn't have cancer or it could be so much worse or but that doesn't I mean, when you're in the midst of something like that, that doesn't matter because it's still your Mm-mm. worst. It's still scary. It's still unknown. Yeah. Um, and so I think a lot of people just depending on how they're wired tend to do that. And so that's something I still have to remind myself of is like this is still right. a challenge, even right. though it's not what so and so is going through. It still affects us. Well, and I think that that's it a real a normal part of coping and in some respects if 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 said intentionally it could also go into gratitude which is you know we're always it's like it's it's not the bargaining act like complete bargaining of the um the grief cycle but it's like trying to negotiate rationalize that this is okay it could be worse, which mm-hmm. is a double-edged sword. Like you said, first of all, it minimizes your own journey and situation, but in efforts to kind of, to try to feel okay about what, what you're being dealt. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you started to put this out there. What, what, how did that happen? Was it intentional <laughs> or did it just it happened and then, whoa, like all this response came back. Yeah. I, so I always kind of reference back to, so in May of this year, I'll be 10 years sober from alcohol. And that's something that, thank you. Um, but kind of going through that process, I realized that sharing it early on really helped me cope. Um, it helped me like writing has always been a passion of mine. So it helped me make sense to put it into words and put it Mm -hmm. out there. Um, And, you know, after some time had passed, I found that it was also helping other people going through the same thing because it's hard to get sober when you're 20 years old. I mean, it's always hard to get sober, but being young and getting sober was kind of this other um, world where people were like, oh, this really helped me because I can relate. Mm -hmm. And so I've always, you know, shared a lot of my life. That's just who I am. I kind of wear my heart on my sleeve. And so when we got Cooper's diagnosis, um, I don't, I don't think it ever occurred to me to like not share it. Um, I obviously 
shared it with like our friends and family pretty early on um, with Facebook, which at that point was close friends and family. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I think it was March of 2020, actually. So like right when COVID and quarantine hit and everything, I was like, I've been hearing about this app called TikTok. And I was like, I'm going to check it out. And I was not sold on it right away. And then I was like, well, I'm just going to post something kind of like share our story. I had no idea what I was doing. And right off the bat, those couple of first posts, like got tons of views. And I was like, I don't know, I guess this is just normal. It's TikTok, whatever. Uh, Not really realizing like, oh, like we were actually gaining traction. Mm -hmm. So that's where it really started um, to be a story that I was sharing and to be able to share it visually was different than like what I'd done in the past um, with just writing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's where it started and just kind of grew from there. Um, TikTok was the jumping off point. Um, once I started sharing on Instagram, probably about a year later, that really took off. Um, and then just this past summer, actually, I started sharing on YouTube and Facebook and both of those have grown a crazy amount in the mm-hmm. time since. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just kind of mind blowing that like, you know, over a million people total have tuned into this journey, um, and find it worth listening to, I guess. And see yeah. It unfold. And I think it's the tip of, it's just the tip of the, the iceberg. Um, I also want to say that y- your, not only your authenticity shows and your realness and any, and your anti, like the show of anti-perfectionism. I'm always thinking about that. Just like you're putting it out there. Like, this is it. This is real. (laughs) And I can clearly see all of your creative and artistic skills get to merge, you know, all your, your photography, your web design, your, your design element. It it, it really enhances um, the very real uh, posts uh, and reels. Thank you. Yeah, that means a lot. People are always like, well, what are you going to like quit your other jobs? And I'm like, never. They all like intersect and yeah. work together. Like, yeah, I do a lot of things, but they're all in the same realm and feed off of each other, mm-hmm. which I love. Um, and it means a lot that you like the, the realness and authenticity is something that I really strive for. I'm definitely like a recovering perfectionist. Yes, yes. Um, I'm with you. I, I, yeah, it's. I thought I would be like that Pinterest mom who like has mm-hmm. just all her ducks in a row and everything is like pretty and perfect. And my own mom just gets such a kick out of the way that I parent and how just the way that Cooper is because mm-hmm. there's there's no room for even a sliver of being that person. Like right. he is just chaos. Right, <laughs> right. Well, and then that's back to acceptance and embracing what is because as again as I've watched your different um, reels and videos. It's like you're in it with him and um, and there's joy and there's noise and there's chaos and there's um, overwhelm. It's it's all of it. And it's um, I think of is it uh, Zorba uh, Zorba the Greek? The famous line is "Ah, the full catastrophe like life, like life is all of it. Right. It's like it's all of it. And it's all about embracing it, which you do. And. And again, for everyone listening, with the acceptance, when we were talking about earlier, to a life situation or a condition that our child has uh, temporarily or permanently, it doesn't mean once you have acceptance, oh, it's all great. We're in Holland now, so we're just going to go along. It, it just, it's the, it's to me, it's the platform by which to live and see things, but it's still an up and down 
mysterious, unknown, uncertain road. It definitely is. And I mean, there's moments where I'm still just taken aback by like a wave of emotion hitting me. And I would mm-hmm. say they're, they're less and less than they used to be for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, yeah, not linear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So seeing Coop's growth and development is really cool, um, especially with the cochlear implants and from, and, and, and your dilemma, do I, you know, do we mix cultures with hearing and the deaf communities and what will that do for him or not? And seeing him at his young age, rejecting them and then moving towards asking for them and being upset when they're taken off and then seeing the joy on his face when it goes from quiet to sound, like he just lights up. What, so what has that whole process been with that decision and, and, and where it is to date? Yeah, um, I think, again, that's one that is still continually just up and down. Um, you know, I, I'm going to say this like as best as I can without being a member of the deaf community. I never realized that there was such a divide um, when it came to cochlear implants versus using sign language. And that's been something that I've had to really learn. Um, and my husband's actually, my husband's aunt and cousins and her kids are all deaf, um, mm. not related, not related to Wardenburg syndrome, just a mm. coincidence. So it's, and they don't use, um, hearing devices really. So it's been good to have them to kind of navigate that and mm-hmm. ask questions. Um, so from, you know, an early point, we were planning to use like baby sign language with Cooper anyway, which is becoming more common. Like people just use it with hearing kids because they can sign before they can talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was something that interested me. And then obviously we got his diagnosis and I um, started sharing our story. And, you know, people really had mentioned leaning into the sign language portion. And I was like, you know, I think early on I felt like the pressure to do that to an extent, like there was just so many things happening. Um, I'm so glad that I did. He, we used that a ton in the beginning. It's been something that I've really enjoyed learning. Um, I posted recently, you know, saying that as his speech development has really grown, mm-hmm. that's definitely his preference, which has been hard. Like I saw a video from a year ago come up where he was pulling out like all kinds of signs, but his speech wasn't quite like, wasn't even close to where it is now. And th- that's totally flipped now mm-hmm. a year later. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is like, you know, I, still sign with him. Um, he still soaks it up. Like mm-hmm. I'll be signing something thinking he's not paying any attention and then he'll do something similar the next day. Um, and we actually, one of my favorite things that we do is when it's like bedtime and, you know, we take his ears off and we plug him in his implants, we call him his ears. Mm-hmm. Um, we read books, but it looks so different than I ever expected reading books to look because, you know, we'll have just like a sliver of light and he'll just kind of look at the pictures and like sign things and then like look up me to make sure he can see my mouth um, and then whatever I'm signing. And so there's no actual like verbal reading. Mm, um, wow. And when, yeah, when his implants are on, he actually has no interest in reading books. So it's just, huh. it's, it's interesting. So does he that. also read lips as well? Yeah, he has ever since he was little. Like he, if you're watching him and really paying attention, you'll see that he kind of like focuses on people's mouths more mm-hmm. than their eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he, he amazes me just like the way that he has adapted early on because he doesn't know any different. Mm -hmm. And he's funny. Like he has, (laughs) he's like, 
is that that you seem like you have a good sense of humor. I I I know your husband less well through the through the reels. Who mm-hmm. where's the sense of humor come from? Yeah, he's just like, and he's really growing into it now. Um, I would say that my my sense of humor is more dry and sarcastic, and mm-hmm. I think that's kind of how Coop is shaping up. And Brandon's definitely that way too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like he's finally realizing like that he can be funny like on purpose. Yeah, so he'll start he'll start you know doing like we were like snuggling in bed the other night and he reached over in the dark and went boop to my nose really loud. And I was just (laughs) like, you know, two months ago, he wouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. Um, Or he'll like, you know, make things up in his head and say them now. So it's funny to watch that little like personality start to emerge as they get older for Mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. What have you, what have you learned in your role as inclusion advocate about where we are in terms of inclusion or lack thereof, you know, any surprises being in it? Um, you know, it's sort of hard at this point in where we are to really speak to like the education system, um, that kind of thing, just because obviously he's not in school school yes. yet. Yeah. Everyone, um, he's can, Coop is three, right? Coop is yes, he's yes, three. Yes. Yep. So I can speak to, you know, like, early intervention. And that was something I was really worried about living where we do just being in a rural area without, um, you know, like a deaf school or a, really a deaf community at all. Um, I was worried that they would have never had like experience, I guess, with cochlear implants or a deaf child. Um, but I've been blown away by our school district, which I think speaks a lot to how far things have come to is that they, there's at least three or four other kids in our district with cochlear implants. So there's, they already have, you know, that experience and that knowledge. Um, they've been great advocates with like getting us the equipment we need. And I know that's not the case everywhere. Um, Minnesota specifically has really, really good early intervention. Um, so as far as that goes, it's been amazing. Um, and I think even like watching in my social media journey in the last couple of years, um, going from like nothing ever being captioned for anybody to all of these apps, building it in now. Like, I think that's been really eye opening. Um, and cool just to see that like, you know, people do rely on those things. And even as a hearing person, like I'll watch things muted. And if it doesn't have captions, I'm just going by it. Um, we turn subtitles on at home constantly. Like I can hardly watch TV without them anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just, um, you know, for people who are completely deaf, like mm-hmm. people who are hard of hearing rely on it. And so I think as a whole, like specifically to our little life, that's where it stands. Mm-hmm. Um, the world as a whole, obviously we have a way to go. Um, yes. I can only speak to the mean like comments that I've gotten personally, which I do feel like are more few and far between at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, stories that I've heard from other parents or people who I follow on social media who either have a disability or a child with a disability, um, just some of what they've shared just leaves me like, Speechless. Um, and even, even race, like Mm -hmm. I have a, I have a good friend whose husband's black and her two kids, um, definitely look black and she's white and she'll share stories of like people out in public and like comments she gets. And it's just like mind blowing that this is still the world that we live in. Yes, it is mind blowing. And there is, this is why there's so much need for awareness and advocacy for these conversations, uh, to happen, for people, for it to be out there instead of overt, instead of covert. And, and, and then this is a nice segue actually into your book. And what I took from it is 
the idea of a child seeing and reading about all of these different conditions, profiles, or just ways of being human, it, it, it struck me as so normative in the way that the language you used, like this is so-and-so and so-and-so was born like this and uses this or has trouble using this, but still has lots of fun doing all of these things. You know, it was very, it was such a wide, such a wide range of um, mm-hmm. profiles and yet all describing the differences in a very user-friendly and non-stigmatizing way. It was probably the hardest thing I've ever written. And I've written a lot of things um, because it's taking these really complex medical subjects and topics and definitions Mm -hmm. and literally making it something that a seven-year-old can understand and also keeping it to a couple sentences. Mm -hmm. And so for someone who like, you know, I'm always hitting word limits and over, Mm -hmm. um, it was, it was hard, Mm -hmm. but I'm happy with where it came out. I mean, that's again, the, the, perk of having like, um, a publisher to work with is being, you know, having that secondary input, Mm -hmm. um, was incredibly helpful. I learned, I learned about, uh, conditions that, um, medical conditions that I had not heard of. Um, there are so many different genetic profiles that produce different, um, that produce different areas of, of challenge. And there's these long, fancy names that are hard for people to remember, but what people all know is what they see. And that's how you translated, you know, you said in most cases, you said the name, some not, um, and then described what it looks like again, in a very short paragraph with beautiful pictures. And, um, I really, I really liked how there's down syndrome, as you said, your friends, um, modeled after your friend's child, there's obsessive compulsive disorder. There's, autism there's um there's so many just the range is 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 so vast and still affirming for people being in life and enjoying life even with their um ch- i don't even know is it would you call it challenge disability i always struggle when i'm trying when i'm being affirming you know i'm always tr- it's like there's this fine line between strength based language yeah. and then the reality of using disability language what I know. I've run into it so many times. Um, and obviously, you know, kids can't really speak to what they prefer, but from talking to, you know, people who are part of the deaf community and are so proud of that, that don't consider it a disability versus adults who are like, it absolutely is a disability. Like it, it honestly just comes down to personal preference. And I know there was a big debate on my page a while ago about the term special needs. Mm -hmm. To me, I mean, Cooper has special needs. He needs other equipment that certain kids don't. He needs an interpreter in cases like, you know, and it's hard being a person that doesn't fall into that category in really any way. I mean, Mm -hmm. apart from like anxiety and depression and that kind of stuff. um, It's, you know, I don't feel like I don't have a leg to stand on when it comes to saying this is right, this is wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's been something that I've really just had to like keep my eyes and ears open to and follow, you know, the lead of adults that do know what they're speaking about. So I think that's kind of an ever evolving door. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and you're clear about what feels right for you, right? So you're making the difference between standing as an expert and saying, no, this is how it should be versus your own experience. And I think that's yes. what people resonate with, right? Because you're talking about your own experience. 
I'm curious, what was the other side of the special needs argument? Just the not have being labeled as such that you're, you know, another human, just like everybody else, that type of thing, um, which has downfalls as well, because then you're maybe risking not getting the services or needs that, you know, a child or an adult needs in order to thrive. So it's, yeah, it's just a hard. It's such a bind at our center. We are very, have always been very strength-based and we, years ago, we were really trying to push this envelope and get away from diagnoses, you know, describing individuals profile through our neuropsychological Mm -hmm. testing. And as you point out, so that is, and I still believe there is a a place for that. That's how we actually talk. But then we couldn't get um, IEPs in school. We couldn't get uh, insurance reimbursements for families. Like there's this world of toggling back and forth between these words which open doors and also trying to be affirming versus pathologizing. I mean, it's the same in the like recovery community with, you know, saying somebody has alcoholism versus is a person with an alcohol use disorder. Right. Like it's that person first language too. So Mm -hmm. I want to read a, something you wrote on uh, one of your blogs, your more recent blogs about embracing the unknown, because this is so much a part of your journey um, and all of our journeys as humans said, the thing is, I've always feared the unknown, but if Raising Cooper has taught me anything, it is that there is beauty in it. There is a deep learning experience in truly examining the hand you are dealt, in grieving it, accepting it, embracing it. There is humbling in learning to let go of control, and most of all, there is peace in knowing you are doing all you can do. <laughs> Who wrote yeah, that? That's profound. Like, yeah. No. yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Wow. Sometimes a, I sometimes I surprise myself. There's a lot in there. There is. Um, I always go back to you know early early on in this process. Um, I had connected with another parent of a child with implants um, and was just talking to her about everything. And she's like, you know, someday you'll look back at this and it won't even seem like a big deal. It'll just be part of who Cooper is. Um, and at the time, I was like, no, like it will always be a big deal. It will always be like at the forefront of my mind and it, it took a while but I was fine I'm finally like 100% in a place where like I appreciate every aspect of it even when it's a little bit hard like because we get these special moments that I feel like other people either pass by or just don't recognize as much um I mean I almost started crying the other day because he used the word my and the in a sentence like he's yeah. starting to make full sentences and that's such a little thing but it's like you know, for kids with implants, they don't hear exactly the way we do. And it can be easier to leave off, you know, like endings of words or little things like that. Um, the first time that he said mama, I like lost my mind because it was just, and he signed it too. And there was, that was equally as beautiful to me was the fact that he was doing both. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, I personally am in a place where I, you know, if I could change it, I wouldn't. And I think in the beginning I would have. Wow. I mean, that's an important place to be. Yeah. He's taught me so much and he continues to, I mean, just about the world as a whole, but also about like myself and my capabilities, um, you know, and being 
being a mom. Like it was never something that was like the top of my, I'm dying to do this list. Like I just have so many passions in life and I was scared that I wasn't going to be able to still have those if I had a child. And I think more than anything, it's shown me that I can do, you know, all of the things that I love doing and still be a damn good parent in the Mm -hmm. process. Yeah. And how about embracing uncertainty and the unknown? What have you, what can you share your wisdom about that? I think that, yeah, that kind of falls back into that whole like perfectionist thing. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I used to be a person who like, I couldn't even go into a weekend with my family without a plan of like, what are we doing? When are we doing it? How is it unfolding? Like, um, I just liked structure and control. And I think, um, I mean, parenthood kind of puts out the window in general, like (laughs) toddlers are not about structure and control and neither are newborns. Um, and so that on top of obviously this diagnosis and thing that I had zero control over really at the bottom line has made me just realize that I need to like ride things out a little bit more before reacting or trying to put like this strict plan into place. Um, and I think that took me a while to realize too, even after Cooper was born and sometimes still is that there's so many things in life that I probably wouldn't have experienced that have become some of the best parts of my life. Um, but wouldn't have experienced if things had gone my way or had gone exactly according to plan. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's what I try to remind myself of often when something big happens or I feel like, okay, this is not how I wanted this to go is like, okay, well, you know, X, Y, Z, you didn't want to get sober and look how amazing Mm -hmm. that's been. You weren't ready to be a mom. Look where you are. I love that. I love that. That, that is embracing the larger, like the larger forces beyond our human, like our human minds always try to put things into places largely to bind our own anxieties that we're aware of and that we're unaware of, you know, just kind of like we, we need things to go a certain way. We need things to be, we need to feel like we're in control (laughs) because it makes us feel better. But especially when we get these unexpected situations, um, unexpected news, or just life happens in ways that we did not anticipate. If we can step back and even if we don't fully understand it, know that this is going to lead us somewhere. Like this is all part of our plan on in this now in this lifetime, it, it there's, it's much more of an open, I feel it's more open versus constricted and ultimately is a less fearful way of living to it's more of like a curiosity of what's to come and where this is going. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's important too to like, that's not to say, you know, you, you can't emotionally react to something you can't still, you can still break down. You can still, you know, whatever, but it's the kind of like, I guess the word that my mom always likes to use is grit, like the ability Mm -hmm. to pick yourself up and do what you need to do in order to get through it. And I think there's still pieces of control to be found. I mean, I couldn't control Cooper's diagnosis, but I could control deciding, okay, I'm going to research this and learn everything I can and figure out if cochlear implants is the best route, figure out how to learn sign language. Like there were still things that I could do like tangible actions. Mm -hmm. And that has always made me feel a little bit better. Like, you know, I'm doing everything I can Mm -hmm. versus like sitting here and letting it happen. Yes. Um, I was just texting one of my kids in um, a dialogue, the idea of life is about figuring out what we can control. This is all la Dalai Lama, right? What we can control and what we can't. 
and you know this, of course, from your recovery community, right? What, like, what can we control? What can we not? Let's let go of the things we can't and let's focus on the things that we can. Yes. I think everybody has something to take from that. <laughs> in every moment, and it's so hard in the moments that can, are overwhelming, emotionally overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're all allowed to have those, as you say, like things, things are hard. And um, again, I appreciate how you show some of those in your, in your videos. Uh, like the mini just exhaustion or mini meltdown moments and then, okay, we can regroup. And then like, you know, it's it regroup and like, okay, how am I going to look at the situation <laughs> and keep going? Yes. Mm. What, You've given us a lot of wisdom today. Um, I'm going to ask you for one more piece. If you can think of one, like as a as a parent of someone who has a disability, as a inclusion advocate, what do you say to the parents out there listening? I think the biggest thing I would say is being willing to meet your child where they are. Um, I think so often, and especially, you know, because of social media, we see like all of these expected milestones or like this person's doing this, my child should be doing this. Um, And that's comparison game can be hard. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, deep down, I always knew that like everything would turn out okay, that Cooper would start, you know, hitting these milestones eventually. But when people around you are already like there, it's really hard to you know, think about, okay, someday and just not know that whole unknown. Um, but I think, you know, your child's not going to have as much of an opportunity to get to that point if you don't meet them where they are at this point. Mm -hmm. And so I've had to remind myself of that a lot along this journey is like, okay, it doesn't matter what they're doing. This is what we're doing. And we know that it's the best path for us, whether that means he starts speaking more or signing more, um, I think just having having to put on those blinders and kind of narrow into your own mm. path yeah. is important. Yes. <laughs> In all aspects, not even yes, parenthood. Yes, exactly. This applies to all, right? What <laughs> best practices for parenting is often best practices for life and vice versa. For, for humaning. <laughs> for humaning, yes. Okay. Beth, it's time for the parent footprint moment question. You've made it to this point. Here we go. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual, as a parent, or even had an awareness of your own parents. And that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your child's, and or those you love. Again, how do I narrow it down? Um... No, there's there's one story that kind of keeps coming to mind, and it's, you know, as a parent of a child who has, like, a visible difference about them, like, in the beginning, I always thought people were looking at, you know, his headband or his implants, or and it's important to me to educate. And so a couple summers ago, we were at a playground locally, and Coop was just kind of sitting down, like, he wasn't quite running around yet, but he was sitting down, like, playing with mulch or something, and this little girl was just, like, really, really looking at him. And, you know, not asking anything. And finally, I was like, you know, are you, are you wondering what those are? Because, like, I, I like to, you know, educate when I can. And she just kind of gave me this, like, look like, no. And 
she goes, uh, they're sticks. And she was totally just talking about what he was playing with. And like, I, I had it in my head that she was like all curious about his implants. And like, so I think that was kind of a turning point for me to realize, Mm. like, not everybody sees that the minute they look at him and especially kids, like kids rarely ever bring it up. It's really blown my mind. Like Mm. they just don't see it that much at the age that he's at right now. Um, and so that I've like had to kind of remind myself sometimes it's like, okay, well, people might, you know, be looking at him cause he's cute. They might be looking at him cause he's loud. Usually probably because he's loud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Like it's not always about what makes him different. Um, and so wow. that was just a really good reminder that, you know, n- sometimes people just see people. <laughs> yes. And the, and the, and the beauty of children, right? The innocence of children. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Uh, They're just sticks. Thank you. I don't need an explanation. Yeah. yeah. Well, Beth, this is, um, I'm really excited for you, for what you're doing out there on all your platforms. And again, 1 million now, uh, 2 million soon, because there's so <laughs> many people who resonate um, with you, with Coop and, and your message and now your book. So tell everyone, you know, where they can find your whole, your whole package on your beautiful website, which I have to say. <laughs> Thanks. Yes, my whole everything is over at bethandcoop.com. Um, my links to my socials are over there. My newsletter currently is the way to sign up for book updates. Um, I'm not 100% sure when this will air, so I will say that it will be available for pre-order on Amazon um, very soon from, you know, I'm saying this beginning of January. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the slotted like official release date is March 21st. Awesome. So uh, the soon. newsletter has all <laughs> soon, soon, soon. Yeah. soon, soon. Well, wish you nothing but the best um, on your journey, your husband's and Coop's journey. And I will enjoy continuing to follow the journey now that we're connected and I know where to find you in all of your places. And <laughs> um, I hope you get some uh, reprieve from your, your winter uh, soon. <laughs> you and me yeah, both. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for having me. This was a really good conversation and I'm excited. So my pleasure, everyone, you know what to do. Share this episode with everyone, you know, who will benefit so much important wisdom in being human in being a parent and in accepting the differences that we all have in so many shapes and forms. Thank you for your five-star reviews. Thank you for being a part of this community. You are everything and make the difference for us. Be your best to be that person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question. I ask myself each day, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.